Welcome back, everyone, to the Why Marketing Podcast. I'm Rusty Pepper, and that is John C. Bailing. John, how's it going? Good. Good afternoon, Rusty. How are you? Doing great. Great to talk to you again and excited about actually bringing on one of our past guests coming back on the Why Marketing Podcast. Now, you weren't able to talk to him last time we had him on, so it's going to be the first for you. So it's going to be fun to be able to have that conversation with him. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting conversation with, with Joe. I've, I've always been very intrigued by the space he's in, the advancement of the space, the evolution. And so it's I think it's going to be a good conversation. And things change in, in, for them basically every election year, election period. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we want to bring it back on is because I think there's been a lot of rumors about what's changing and what's going to be changing over the next four years. So without further ado, Joe Otis, welcome back. Thank you very much, Rusty. Glad to be here. John, good to see you. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into all the good stuff, I want to go into our speed round, just ask some just random questions, get to know you a little bit better. Sounds good. I should have some random answers. <laughs> My answers are this, usually the same way. They're random because I don't know the questions either. <laughs> it's always a surprise. So let's go with the first one. Mac or PC? PC. I've always been PC, just the way I was brought up. <laughs> I'm PC, but I, I will say that I've got a slight advancement because I've got a I've got a Microsoft Surface, so I can at least touch my screen. So it's kind of the iPad uh, friendly version, but PC as well. I'm a big fan of the Surface. I think it's a great product. It's about, I think it's the yeah. best PC product that I, I've ever yeah. used. So. I love it. I love it. Ninjas. Or pirates? In terms of fighting them or in terms of hanging out with them? Because that could be two different things. Fair point. Would you rather fight a ninja or a pirate? I think I'd rather fight a pirate. I, I, I generally would think that they've got sword skills, but they're probably a little out of shape. So I could run <laughs> if necessary. And or I can duck ninja. I, I've got nothing on that. So you know, I'm going to have to go with pirate. All right, John? Yeah, I think I'm going to agree. I'll go with pirate too. I also don't think pirates are very sleuth. They're coming and you can't miss them coming in. Ninja, you could be dead and instantly you don't even know they were there. So uh, yeah, pirates make a lot of noise. There's yeah, a lot of yelling exactly. And, Big ship, cannons, boisterous. Wooden legs, parrot, all that. So I yeah. imagine <laughs> you'd probably, I would agree. And if you were to party with them, would you rather party with a pirate or a ninja? I'd go with a pirate. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, completely. Maybe for the very opposite, for the very same reasons, but for opposite purpose, right? Loud, boisterous, fun. A ninja, I would imagine, wouldn't have a whole lot to say. Be very quiet. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking the pirates already have got lots of gold for gambling and rum on board, so I'm going to go that way as well. <laughs> it's a pirate party. Was Steve Sarkeesian a good hire by our Longhorns? So Joe's a he's a Longhorn. I, I, I think that remains to be seen, but I, I think just doing something was a good move. So something had to happen. Whether that was the right thing to have happen in the universe, pyres it could have made remains to be seen, but definitely a, a good move away from the former coach. I agree. I like what he's talking about. I like his all gas, no brakes. He's just putting it out there. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think he's going to try to cut. He's going to come in and I think he's going to make some great moves and he's going to coach these boys up. That, that's what I think. Of I course, you're correct. 
I've been disappointed many times. <laughs> Just about to say, I've gone through that cycle enough times that I'm, I'm not ready to invest emotionally yet. Now, I know, John, this is not a subject you enjoy too much because you're a cyclone. Yeah, no, I think it was a good hire. I live in Tennessee, so we call you guys the other UT. But I, I think in general, it was it was a good hire. I think they had to make a move. I, I, I think there's a variety of programs that you either go all in as a coach or you just run away from it. I think Texas, Notre Dame, it's, it's like you either go in there and make a mark for yourself or your days are numbered. So I think he was a great choice. And uh, it's also very, it's going to be very challenging. He's got to turn it around quick. Like the role of a CMO. Uh, yeah, there is, there is the, I think I've read numerous times that the life expectancy is 18 to 24 months. That's exactly, <laughs> so, exactly what it is. You make it past two years, you're doing better than average. Joe, how many months have you been at uh, Wanna Brands? I got a little ways to go to to get to average, so it'll be uh, it'll be one year in March. Okay, so so you're, approaching you're, that mark. Awesome! Uh, happy almost anniversary then. And so this last question though is for you: What brand inspires you most? Ooh, what brand inspires me most? That's a really interesting question because the word inspiration is what I'm caught up on, right? There's uh, me as the consumer and what brands do I feel best about engaging with versus me as the marketer who feels inspired by the creative. Boy, we want dead air here. I got to think for a second. Okay. I'm going to be self-serving. To be honest, the the brand I'm with right now, Wana, honestly inspires me quite a bit because, and I, and I know I don't say that because I didn't build this brand. I am currently as the CMO in charge of it, but I didn't build it. And Enhance your life is the tagline, and, and everything we do really is directed at at that very end purpose. And I think it it puts a completely different spin on a category and a product that I think a lot of people don't fully understand. But we're finding the ways in which we can enhance people's lives, both with the product as a company, you know, trying to live that brand promise up and down the chain. I, I think it's okay to be self serving. Look, it's it'd be a, you should have it should inspire you. You're there for a reason, and you are. And, the brand itself is doing amazing things. And so that's why I'm glad we're able to have you back on to talk about what has been going on over there at Wanna Brands and what do you expect the next, how this new administration is going to shake things up uh, in your industry? Is that a question? Yeah, it wasn't really a great question, but it was. Uh, <laughs> What's your, what we're going to talk about or. <laughs> I was just going to let it go. However you wanted it. The floor is I can, yours. I can. I can give an update, which is it's been like just a whirlwind. I can't remember when last book, Rusty, but probably was it like the beginning of the summer, maybe? The last Not maybe, quite a year. It was, it was right after you got there. Yeah. And we hit this spike. So there was uncertainty initially. Once they established cannabis as a essential business, we saw a, a massive uh, spike. So in the summer, we were seeing growth of 40% on a year-over-year basis for WANA and for the industry as a whole, a little bit lower than that, but still just craziness and a complete and total shift in terms of how we connect with the consumer and where, because they began moving online and new platforms to arrive that allowed the consumer to interact with products and brands in the dispensary website or even in our own website and reserve products and go pick it up. So complete change of, of consumer behavior. And all the while, we're just trying to keep up with the demand. And by the way, we're launching new products and we're launching a new market. So as of the end of 2020, we were in 11 states plus Canada. 
And that gives us the largest footprint in North America, in, in addition to, of course, being the number one edible product in North America. But it's just that continual push for new innovations, new markets, meeting consumer demand. It's a, it's a nonstop whirlwind. And I think to the question of the administration, I think most people believe, and, and I am one of those people, that I don't know that full legalization occurs tomorrow, but I do believe that this administration is open to reform. And that may mean descheduling. That may mean baby steps in terms of banking reform and some other bills that will hopefully get passed, all the while trying to balance what is a really big issue for the industry, which is equity and diversity and trying to ensure that anything that we do from a growth perspective, whether at the state level or at the federal level, does keep that very much in mind. And that means support for entrepreneurs of color and and for ensuring that we have balance in terms of licenses that are distributed, but also reversing history as best we can to expunge records, to release people who are still today in prison for the, the same crime, for the crime that, that we are actually now profiting from in terms of being a business in the cannabis industry. I have a brand question. And as this space is, let's just say what it is, relatively new over, over the oh, past, yeah. I still remember I was living in Los Angeles when the law changed where recreational became became legal. And that, that was only four years ago now. And so the question is on the brand perspective, what are you guys doing to make WANA, just call it the call for edibles? Because in my perspective, there's no real brand. There isn't a Nike, there isn't a Levi's, so to speak, or a Coca-Cola out there that is, is kind of the call product in the cannabis industry. So what are you guys doing at an executional level just to bring up that brand awareness? So somebody goes, gummies, I want one. Great question. So a lot of different answers to it as well. The gummies as a category, we got pretty lucky because back in, let's say, 2013, 2012, we really established our uh, IP around the gummy, which at the time was not a dominant format necessarily because it was still a novel industry. Now, fast forward seven, eight years later, Gummies make up 84% of the of the candy market and somewhere near that for the for edibles market as a whole. Chocolate would be a distant second with some other products. So point is that we got lucky. We chose the right format. We became the dominant player in Colorado far and away. If you look at the, the data that's publicly available through platforms like BDSA and Headset, you would see that our market share is head and shoulders above any other edibles company in Colorado. And I don't say that to be to brag about it or be egotistical about it, but more so to say the gummy format really became dominant. And so we became synonymous with gummies in Colorado. Now, fast forward to expansion to all these other states. Not everyone knows WANA immediately in those markets. Because of the state-by-state nature of this industry and how it has developed, there are in some cases homegrown brands. California would be a great example of a market where there were a ton of homegrown brands long before legalization was actually implemented there a couple of years ago. We come into a new market, we're competing with those guys. And in some markets that are brand new, those are a little bit easier. We can come in and establish our dominance from a gummy perspective with those markets, but for existing markets, it's more challenging. So all of which is to say to your question, this, uh, I've talked about my, I've internally labeled my plan for this year as the year of the national brand for us, because my goal is to now take all of these distribution points. So 11 states, Canada will probably be in a three or four more by the end of the year. So let's say 15 markets plus Canada and begin to tie it all together with brand messaging. So moving away from just a product focus in a given market to drive sales at point of sale, 
and more so to having people understand who we are as a brand. And the really um, exciting part is being able to establish our position as a premium product because I think a lot of people think about gummies and they think gummy is a gummy is a gummy. And that's just not at all the case. There's so much differentiation and quality and consistency and experience. And we really, our IP is really dialed in. That's why it's not, it is partly the brand, but it's also the product. That's why we're, we do so well in these markets because people come back to our product again and again. So putting all those things together, that's how we're going to become, as you put it in liquor terms, the call product for, for this industry. My hope is in the next year. It's a highly regulated industry, obviously. You you can't do samplings, product samplings, like you do at liquor stores. How is How are consumers finding and making those decisions to go with WANA versus something else, especially as you add new products uh, and going and moving into new categories? Yeah. To your point, yeah, it's really difficult to reach that end user consumer. So we do, in some markets, we can give out, for example, non-medicated samples, can't do that in Colorado. You can't You can't have any item that is not marijuana infused that's edible in a dispensary in Colorado, which on the face of it sounds counterintuitive, but really it was designed such that if you buy something or get something at a dispensary, there's never a question. It has cannabis in it. And so we can't do that here, even non-medicated, but in some markets we can. And so the consumer looks at education. So that's a big piece of it. So education is really important for us. And we do that through numerous channels, not the least of which is social. If you looked at our post today, in fact, there's a, there's a big post on educating people on different cannabinoids, right? It's a multi-part series of education pieces that we put out there. It is bud tender education. It's getting to those bud tenders, giving them the training and the knowledge to understand our products and how they work because they become a good conduit to that end user consumer. And then lastly, it's also creating products that are approachable to um, the broader audience, the can of curious that are beginning to get into this industry and not only giving them a reason to believe, but also removing the, the stigma and the intimidation of, I don't know what I'm getting. I don't know what this product is. We make products that are for, call it pro-consumers that are medical products with um, a lot of milligrams of THC. And we make our Wanna Quick gummies, which are a five milligram, easier to consume because it is not a typical edibles experience. It's a shorter uh, duration and quicker onset. So you can understand how the product's going to affect you a little bit more quickly than you can with most edibles. So trying to remove that fear factor for consumers by creating products that are technology driven. That's another way that we get in front of that consumer and, and, and make a difference. It, it also feels, and I go to the last election when a variety of states came on board, it also feels like the investor world has call it slowed down a little bit because when licenses were granted, it seemed like there was just companies popping up left and right. And the Canadian stock market went absolutely berserk when the whole country became legalized. But there also seems to be a bit of a kind of settling in period, I guess I'll call it, in terms of the, the companies and the brands that are out there. So are you finding that in a competitive set, it isn't as much as here, it's every entrepreneur that got a license started to launch a product versus here are kind of the players. So as far as the, the markets go, I'll tell you that the last two to three months has seen a reversal of that course that you're talking about in terms of the investor interest. It's frothy right now. If you look at the market today, if you look at all the cannabis stocks and some of the funds that are tracking across multiple stocks, it's through the roof. Like I'm watching some of these stocks going, how is that company valued at whatever it is they're valued at when their revenue, they're still losing hundreds of millions of dollars. It's crazy. So there is still a lot of excitement on the investment side. Now, 
what has solidified a little bit is more what I would call some of the infrastructure companies, the ones that are the multi-state operators that we talked about some of them earlier, the, the Crescos, the GTIs, big companies that are using, in some cases, public markets or private equity to build out these large, uh, this large infrastructure. I think that has begun to solidify, but every time a new market comes online, like I'll use Oklahoma, for example, Oklahoma has been a market for about two years now. They did not have a medical program prior, so there's no historic or legacy companies that were there. But in that space, because it was an unlimited license state, tons of brands have popped up, right? So Wana goes in. So we're established, we're a national brand, but we're competing with hyper-local brands that are much cheaper because they're maybe not following the same quality standards and whatever that we are. So each market really does vary, and we're still seeing new brands popping up. The infrastructure piece, though, to your point, John, is a little bit more stable. And I also think that people are beginning to put their sights on what legalization might look like because all of these companies that have raised a ton of money to build out these massive indoor cultivations, they might that infrastructure might not be as necessary if legalization occurs in the near future. And then the other thing I want to, and you started to dive into it a little bit when you're talking about social a little bit, is are you seeing any changes in the not only the verbiage and what you can and can't say and can't execute in a marketing perspective. I'll just go, whether it's OTT, whether it's going to be print or even streaming radio, experiential. Are there any regulations that have advanced in some of the states of legalized saying, you know what? Okay, we're going to change our stance in this. And this is a business, a thriving business. We're going to let these companies communicate through this means. Yes and no. On the social side, the answer is no. We all, as cannabis brands, live in fear every day that Facebook's going to come along and wipe us from the platform with our 35,000 Instagram followers. And we've had that happen a couple of times. So it's not an unfounded fear. And they have not really moved from where they were. But conversely, on, let's say, paid programmatic, we're seeing a lot more platforms open to accepting cannabis advertising. They're all still looking at it and making sure it meets their standards, whatever those might be. But most good cannabis brands understand that. No one's coming out with like cartoons or trying to appeal to kids or being salacious. We, we all are, are trying to be legitimate brands. And so there's a lot of opportunity there. I would also tell you, for example, in Colorado, so we're seven, seven years into this now, when we, for the first six years, out of home was not an allowable format in Colorado. It was in California and some other markets, but they did change that last year, right? To the very point you're making, they looked at it and said, okay, we're seven years in, sky hasn't fallen. These guys are good operators. We're going to go ahead and extend this and and let them um, use out of home. It still varies by the the companies too, right? Whether they want to have cannabis advertising on their billboard or whatever the out of home execution might be. But there seems to be at least a little bit of a lessening of the reins, of the tight reins, so to speak. But then we go to Canada and Canada is completely different, even though it's federally legal there. Their, their rules and regs are much tighter. It's pretty nuts things you cannot say. So you can't call it vegan and gluten-free on our packaging because uh, that would indicate that it's a health product and they don't want it to be promoted as being healthy, even though our product is vegan and gluten-free. Opposite side of that spectrum. I never even thought about it being a gluten-free or vegan product. <laughs> the vegan thing is actually a pretty big differentiator for us because most gummies are, not most, but many are made with with gelatin, which is a animal-based byproduct. Ours is being is made with pectin, thus making it vegan. And it's difficult to make a really good vegan gummy. There's not a ton of them out there. 
The, if it makes you feel any better, the U.S. version of Red Bull was going to be considered a pharmaceutical product in Canada when we launched in Canada. So, <laughs> it does not surprise me. Health Canada is very uh, goes around. Wow, very tight on that. So now, get your crystal ball out, and when you look at that crystal ball and you're looking on the future, what excites you about the marketing industry that you're in? For me, obviously legalization, right? Because I'm in such a growth industry that like every day there's something exciting or a new market that's going to come online or there's new trends that are developing all the time. And I think a big piece of it that excites me about the growth of this industry is reaching consumers who, for whom cannabis was never even in their mindset. I'll use the quintessential example of like my mom who never in her life consumed cannabis, but now she realizes, oh, this really helps my sleep. This is a great, great product for me to use at night when I go to bed. There are so many more of those stories that are out there that are all the way from my, it helps me sleep at night to, holy cow, this made a fundamental difference in my life and my health because I used it to treat X, Y, and Z. So that's exciting to me. I think the development of products that are really and truly formulated for case use. So, there's, so they're use case specific. Uh, I said sleep earlier, anxiety, pain, other things that are that will allow this plant to really be explored far beyond just getting high with THC. Those are the things that I'm, I'm really excited about. And I think that will make a, a big impact, particularly as we legalize on a federal level. Is there a certain product category that you see is going to be your big growth over the next 12 to 24 months? So it continues to be gummies because we know that's a dominant format, but the difference is that we look at gummies as a delivery vehicle. We don't, we're not a gummy company. We're not even really a, a CPG company. We're a a plant-based science company that that uses gummies as our delivery format. So it's going to be the technology behind it. I mentioned our quick gummies earlier. That was our big, big leap this year. We weren't the first to market necessarily in all markets with a quick product, but we were the best. And, and it took us two years to develop it. More of how we're going to take technology, combine it with the plant, and then new cannabinoids, flavonoids, terpenes, really understanding how to deconstruct and then reconstruct the plant in a way that is most beneficial to the consumer. Do you find, whether it's yourself or, or comparable companies that are not producers of cannabis that you smoke and inhale, fall into this other more, I'm just going to say what it is, politically correct or people like your mother who may have never smoked or inhaled anything in her life versus, okay, wait a minute, gummies helps me sleep. It's in this form. Are you finding that WANA is a little more socially acceptable, if you will, across across the board? Yeah, obviously it depends upon the audience we're talking about. But I think by and large, yes, I think that an edible format, and the, the reason why people were so excited about edibles back in 2014 when we launched adult use legalization in Colorado, is they see how that is a less intimidating, more socially acceptable. I, I have three kids in my house. I'm not walking around the house smoking a a big blunt and put smoke into my my kids' lungs. So there are there are benefits from a health standpoint, and of course, COVID exacerbated that a little bit. People didn't want to you know uh, mess with their lungs at all. But I think on uh, ongoing, people are also recognizing burning plant matter and inhaling it not the the healthiest way to do things. So I do think it lowers the bar. But I'm going to combine that with the fact of something I said earlier about edibles, which is some of our products are more approachable because we have engineered some of the technology to remove 
the challenges that people have with edibles, the long onset time, the long duration, the fact that edibles, uh, when you digest them, it converts the THC to actually a different molecule, 11-hydroxy, which has a different effect. That's why people, some people say, oh, I don't like edibles. They make me feel weird. Well, we've used technology for those who find that to be the case to remove that kind of barrier, making it all the more accessible to people who are looking to not smoke. John, from your perspective, coming from the beverage side of things, I'm curious of your take uh, on, on the industry currently. Does it is it ultimately going to follow an alcohol model? Is it, Do you look at the, the branding and the marketing right now in the category and go, oh boy, that's just terrible because we've had, with alcohol, you've had so many more years of development around that marketing and that message. Yeah, both Coors and Coca-Cola have explored the space and, and, and gone into this. And I know there's a separation here, but you guys are involved in both CBD as well as cannabis. I, I personally believe that depending on a, a company's philosophies, if somebody like Brown Foreman, Diageo, Beam Centauri says, you know what, this is a space that makes sense for us. I just, I'm waiting for that tipping point of a big brand name coming out. We joked, our clearly Canadian product was made in Canada. So, you know, I know what a better opportunity to explore. One, somebody's got a strong brand name. It's made in Canada. Launch, I'm just making it up, clearly cannabis in Canada. And so I, I truly believe that if a beverage company will put a uh, you know stake in the ground and make a cannabis product, because I think some of the CBD products that I see out there, I think Recess has, has got some traction, but I think some of them are struggling because of uh, you know, low brand recognition. And so I, I think if one of those bigger organizations takes a stance and goes, hey, our, our new product innovation team has got this and here it is. It's interesting because of the distribution, the understanding of the compliance, they've got everything already built to manage it and scale it on a national level. And so they're looking, they would be looking at it as basically launching a new brand. Yeah. I, I, Canada, I use Canada as an example because you can go coast to coast in Canada. And Joe will know, I, mean, I don't know the shipping laws or crossing borders, but there's distributors in the spirits industry can't go across state line to deliver. So even if you're like Jacksonville, you can't cross Georgia to deliver. It's just, it's, it's a law. You can't do it. That's why you have multi-distributors. Because spirits, beer, and wine companies already understand those distribution laws, because I'm sure you'd have to deal with the same things. It would be a pretty seamless execution, I think. Let me ask you a question, though, because one of the things that, that I, I've begun to realize over the last seven years of, of doing this is that I think a lot of mainstream brands, and alcohol would be one of them, they don't fully understand the the product and the consumer, which maybe you think to yourself, well, it's weed. How, how much is there to understand? But I think this is a very unique product that has a lot of differentiation from anything else that's out there. Like you don't have an alcohol product that potentially has medical benefits and also can treat X, Y, and Z, and, and then can still have a recreational component. There's no real parallel from a product perspective. And so I think that alcohol companies that want to just slot this in as another product in their lineup, maybe you're missing the point of what cannabis can and should be to the consumer and what, and, and how the consumer utilizes that product. Cause I've been, my, one of my first companies I worked with Dixie was big in drinks. That was their, mm -hmm. our flagship product was the Dixie elixir. After I left there, I really began to look more into the beverage space. And I think until such time as on beverages, they can get the experience dialed in so that it has a similar 
ramp and then ramp down the way that alcohol does. I think everyone that's been trying to plug these cannabis drinks, I, I don't know that they're going to have the success that, that everyone thinks they will. I think there's potentially two separations and maybe a nutraceutical company is a better example. And right off the cuff, I can't think of, you know, brand name nutraceutical, but it gets down to who's going to champion the project and explaining the, the reality is recreational is a social entity and the health benefits for, listen, I've got arthritis, I've got achy knees, I've got IBS, I've got a variety of other medical reasons, makes me sleep, et cetera. So there's the separation behind the recreational social side of things and medical side of things. And I don't know, maybe a nutraceutical company. I guess my only point is there's a variety of big brands and we're dealing with what you can do legally in the Colorados, Nevadas, Californias of the world versus what you can't do, can or can't do in Texas, for example. And it's, I think it's just going to be an interesting evolution. And we're just in that teetering point on who makes the move and makes the right move. And then, so, like I said, what, what Coke yeah. and Coors are doing, Molson Coors are doing, it's I commend them to say, now listen, they're taking, they're, they're going to explore this. Yep. Yep. One thing's for certain, the future is going to be exciting. There's a lot of innovation that's happening and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. No, it's really not. I, I think we don't reach maturity, so to speak, as industry for, I don't know, like 20 years. It's going to be a while before we are at a point of, okay, there's no more innovation going on in this industry. And when you refer to innovation, you're talking about product distribution, Everywhere, education. Everything. Across the board, right? Because there's infrastructure and technology that hasn't been built yet for this space. There's understanding the plant and the the, the multiple cannabinoids and, and different ways that those cannabinoids can be extracted and affect people. There's extraction technology. There's the product technology. There's understanding how John's system is, endocannabinoid system is different than Rusty's, is different than Joe's. And so that's why these different products affect us differently and trying to, to figure out how to customize them. There's just so much. It just never ends in terms of where we can go with innovation in this industry. And I will say that when I was approached by a cannabis company, I, I a recruiter called me, I took a step back to go, wow, and this was years ago, is this going to affect my resume? <laughs> You know, you just go for that normal scenario of, do I want to be categorized as that guy? And so what I would encourage all the listeners to do is if it's a space you're interested, space you have questions, Google like crazy to educate yourself because I was educated in a very positive way saying, wow, these products are actually really good for people. There is, it, it, there's a laundry list of ailments that it helps. And uh, when you talk about a, a, somebody who has epilepsy, and then you hear stories of somebody doesn't have any more epileptic seizures, you just go, every state in the country should be legal because of the, because of the medical benefits that it can do for people. It's just that when I started reading stories, it's like, there's no question. Forget, put politics aside and just go, this is just the right thing to do. It's interesting from a political standpoint, there are very few political issues that are actually bipartisan and you find Republicans yeah. and Democrats alike that either are all for it or all against it. So it, it crosses party lines both ways. Yeah. Once you educate yourself and really understand the benefits of it, you just, you, I think you change your mind. Yep. Oh. Well guys, this was fun. Joe, thank you for coming back on. I'm excited to explore these topics and, and what the journey is going to look like. Thank so you for having me. Appreciate you uh, making time for us. I really appreciate us. it. And John, it's a pleasure to talk to you as well. And
as well, Joe. Um, good luck with both of you uh, on your projects and all you're working on. And thank you for having me. Is there anything else you want to share or say before we, we let you go? No, just hang on. It's going to be an interesting ride for the next couple of years. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the Y Marketing Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Until the next time. <laughs>